0: You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 36 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And for this week's show, we have Andy Webb, the BBL's Chief Operating Officer. Obviously, the BBL is the British Basketball League, the UK's only pro league, uh, and Andy, has been in his position in operations of the league for going on uh, 23 years or so. So he's seen and done a lot uh, and he is largely responsible for the growth that the league has seen in recent years. Um, But of course, there's still a lot of work to do and that is amongst the things that we go into uh, in today's show. He spoke about everything ranging from his own background and how he ended up in his position, um, what he thinks are the league's uh, biggest weaknesses, the, ins- the importance of the sport owning their own assets. Uh, you know, we hear that one repeatedly, uh, the importance of facilities. The ownership and governance structure of the of the league, the disparity between the top and the bottom of the BBL, um, the new licensing, licensing agreement that, of course, came in uh, to fruition in twenty seventeen, and much much more. It's a really interesting conversation. Uh, mad props uh, to Andy for coming on the show. Uh, it is much appreciated. Of course, the league does get a bit of a hard time sometimes, and he could have hidden away, but he was more than willing to uh, jump on the call and have the conversation, uh, which I think uh, proved to be really really interesting. Um, as always. I would love to hear your feedback, thoughts, critiques, comments, anything. Um, Drop me a line on my email address, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach me on every single social media profile at hoopsfix. And if you do have a quick second, I know I always ask for it, but please get onto iTunes, give us a rating and review. Um, That does help the podcast grow far and wide and reach even more people. So yeah, anyway, that's enough from me. I will leave it here with my conversation with Andy Webb. We are honoured to be here with the Chief Operating Officer of the BBL Andy Webb. Andy, welcome to the show.
1: Many thanks for for having me, Sam. Appreciate it.
0: So, for people that uh, don't know you or don't know uh, what you do, can you give us a, a brief overview of kind of what your job is, uh, what your roles and responsibilities are and kind of what the day-to-day looks like?
1: Yeah, by all means. So, we're responsible for running the uh, the headquarters of the uh, central BBL operation. Uh, in broad terms, we cover there the uh, the administration of the uh, competitions. Uh, we um, provide support services to the clubs. Um, we obviously deal with the the media on a on a fairly regular basis and uh, media inquiries, etc. Manage the relationships with the sponsors, the broadcast, the partners, um, and uh, also a fairly large part of what we do is we market and stage the uh, the BBL finals events uh, over the course of the season.
0: So you've been in this job, if I'm right, since like 1994. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yes. You have done your homework there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Since November 1994, so 20, 23 years I've been with the league. I've not been in the, in this position for 23 years. Uh, I've been chief operating officer since 2005, but uh, but yet joined the league in '94 as uh, as a competitions administrator, uh, and it and it rolled from there.
0: So what was your, what was your background uh, before getting involved with the league?
1: Uh, I pretty much uh, came to the league just a few years after leaving um, education. So uh, prior to, uh, to joining the league, I uh, worked for British Gas for a, a couple of years. Uh, having been an avid fan of, uh, of basketball through my formative years, um, used to watch the, the Leicester Riders on a fairly regular basis um, and also the Derby Storm. So uh that that was a, a tricky one to uh um support both the Leicester and Derby team.
0: So what uh what was it that attracted you to the role? I mean, it was because you were a hardcore basketball fan and you kinda of wanted to get involved with with the with the league side of things. Um yeah, what what was it that, that got you involved with the BBR in the first place?
1: Yeah, primarily interest in the sport. So uh obviously I'd watched it over a number of years as uh, as I was growing up. Um, I wanted to get involved in it, see if I could make a difference, see if I felt the BBL progress um, from, from where it was. And, and you know, really, uh, I guess the overriding factor was to uh, to work in an, an inter- industry that was interested me, um, you know, that I, I could get uh, my teeth into, get excited about and, uh, uh, and and see what I could do for it and uh, and get enjoyment out of it at the same time. So I, I guess primarily, you know, what anyone would uh, um, largely aspire to is they uh, were looking for employment. Um, as I say left education is you know primarily I think most people are after something that, that interests them so uh, it was no different for me with uh, with basketball.
0: So I mean having been in the role for, for that period of time or having been with the BBL for that period of time you know you must have seen so much stuff and you kind of have got a pretty good um, oversight of, of the history of the league kind of where it's been where it is now uh, where it's going um, you know if you were to describe to someone that maybe uh, doesn't know a lot about the history of the BBL, uh, or doesn't know a lot about British basketball in general, and you're kind of describing the past two decades or so. Uh, and if you were to br- maybe, if you were able to break it into eras of like, uh, you know, different periods of time, where which are kind of have distinct beginnings and ends, and uh, taking us through to the present day now. Uh, How would you? I mean, I know it's quite a big, broad question, but how would you kind of look at the last, (laughs) the last sort of two decades uh, of the league, and uh, since you've been involved with it, uh, you know, working very closely with it, um, you know, what have you seen, and and kind of how would you describe the state of the league uh, now compared to where it has been in the past?
1: Ooh, I could probably answer that in about uh, forty-five minutes, Sam, I would think. (laughs) But uh, but let me try and condense that down a bit into a. into a shorter time scale for you I mean I, I joined, when I joined the league in 94 um, it was very much on the way up they were uh, you know we were picking up um, significant sponsorship we picked up a um, you know regular live shows on uh, live games on Sky Sports which were on a um, on a Sunday um, immediately following the, uh, the, the football so a, a good slot um, you know, and it was a sport on the way up. I think what I'd probably say is what sat behind that in BBL terms is uh, is probably clubs that weren't built on very solid foundations in terms of the. You know, it was all about the uh, the, the, the the professional team. Um, there was no sort of pyramid underneath it in terms of junior development. Um, I mean, I'm I'm talking in broad terms. There are there were obviously clubs who were who were doing that, but uh, there were also a number who were. Very focused on their uh, on purely their their pro league team their, their BBL team, um, and there was also some fairly wealthy guys who uh, who, who owned clubs as well. who were putting in significant amounts of money. So although for many it was considered the uh, you know the pomp of the uh, uh, of the league, if you like, um, as, we, as we head towards the late 90s with teams playing out of Wembley Arena and Sheffield Arena and London Arena et cetera, and, and venues of, of that nature. Clubs were losing, um, you know, money hand over fist, and it, and it wasn't sustainable, um, sort of long term. And, and there was no investment into the infrastructure of the clubs. It was all on, on players and, and trying to win trophies. Um, then heading into the, uh, the early 2000s, if you like, the league was in recovery mode to a certain extent. All the uh, the, the, the rich owners had, had, had fallen away. Uh, as they fell away, the clubs weren't sustainable. That they left behind, and, and therefore, you know, we turned over. Uh, a relatively high number of clubs, and we really were in a, a rebuild stage. I, I think I'd probably say, um, for, a, uh, for the early 2000s, the league has been on a, on a steady upward trend, um, since probably about 2005 um, or 2006, seven, somewhere around there. I'd say we'd turned the corner, um, and I think perhaps that's only become more visible in the last sort of four, five, six years, perhaps, and uh, you know, with the uh uh with securing a a number of sort of high-level deals which perhaps we will come on to a a little later um you know teams very focused on their their community uh, and building their the pyramid um that sits underneath the pro league team um and, and therefore becoming more sustainable uh, as an operation and and, and not dependent on the, uh on on the wealthy owners that we had in the 90s uh etc so you know, as a result of the clubs becoming more sustainable, the uh, you know the league has has also managed to grow, um, and I think perhaps that's evidenced by the you know the, the deals that we've got in place now um, with Perform as a as a partner, which has led us on to uh, the BBC deal. Uh, we're now screening a a game a week via UniLad. Um, you know, there's some more news coming on broadcast in not too distant future. Can't uh, give anything away more than that at the moment. Um, you know, long term sponsorship deals with Moulton, um, also uh, with uh, with Kappa now with a uh, with a kit deal across the league, so uh, things heading in the right direction.
0: Does it uh, does it frustrate you at all when you know, when we speak to uh, people that have been around the game a long time, they always talk about how you know, how the BBL was in its heyday back in the 90s and. Uh, you know, and playing in these big arenas, but of course, you, you know, as you just described to us, actually, it was built on very um, fickle foundations and relied on the the sort of the cash injection from the owners. Um, you know, I would I would guess that you would then say that even though the visibility of the league maybe now isn't isn't what it was then, it's actually in a much better place and a healthier place uh, in terms of the for the long term vision, the sustainability of the league uh, moving forward. So, you know, are there frustrations when people can constantly compare it to. What it was back in the day, when you know that actually uh, that wasn't ever going to be a sustainable thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a point, it frustrates. But I, you know, I think to the, uh, you know, as a, as a, to a fan, and I, we know once was a fan, so I can I appreciate, and still am to a point. But uh, I can appreciate where they're coming from. I mean, what you could see was uh, a hugely successful league. You know, generally, you wouldn't, unless you dug, you you wouldn't see what was. Uh, Sitting behind it or not sitting behind it, as the uh, as the case may be. So I'm I'm very happy to uh, you know to to take time to explain the uh, the position to people so they they have an understanding of it. And you know I'm, I'm the end line to uh, to that explanation is also a positive story as well because I'd say we're heading back to. Uh, towards those days of, uh, of, of you know that sort of level of, uh, of profile, we're a few seasons away from it yet at the moment. But with the benefit of having the solid foundation sitting behind it, and also you know people around the organisation who who lived through that era, so with the experience and and now it's to make sure we we don't make the, the mistakes that were that were made previously
0: you feel like the bbl gets a bit of a tough a tough rap i think i you know i think when when people talk about um the state of british basketball in general uh, one of the things that always comes up is you know having a, a strong professional league um mm-hmm. you know uh do you think that's fair or or do you think that um that actually uh the bbl is doing as good as it as it can do and doing maybe a better job than than some other organizations that are involved with the sport
1: there's room for improvement uh, for, for BBL, absolutely. I mean, I think as I've touched on, we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, we are moving in the right direction. We're trying to tackle those those areas, absolutely. But you know, this is a different, difficult sector um, to be in the sport. you know, the sporting world in the UK is tricky, um, particularly commercially, particularly sponsorship wise, uh, etc. So I, you know, I. I, I I don't think we're we're doing badly. Um, could we do better? Yes. Um, you know, what's holding us back is, or, you know, we'd like to progress quicker. Um, absolutely, we are, you know, we've got that progress, but we want to accelerate that growth. That's the next challenge for us. Um, sitting behind that is, you know, there's a sport that's not very wealthy. Um, and, you know, ultimately there's, there's only so much you can do with, without a uh, significant amount of investment. And, and, and you know, that's a, be it via an investor or a sponsorship, and that's an area that we, uh, you know, that we, we need to tackle and, and get better at, and, and therefore get more money into the sport, and, and therefore we can uh, we can accelerate that growth.
0: So, if you were being absolutely honest about the biggest weaknesses that the BBO has at the moment, uh, what would you say they are? Where are kind of your focus areas in the operations department in trying to uh, improve uh, the league?
1: So have not enough eyeballs on the sport is, uh, is, you know, is of significant concern um, or, or a significant hindrance to, to our growth, and, and that leads on to you know, many things in terms of uh, obviously sponsorship, which would generate more, more income, uh, etc. But you know, a big thing holding back the uh, uh, the league and the sport has been assets and the lack of assets in the uh, in the sport, and uh, you know, in particular. Um, facilities and, uh, and venues. So, you know, that's what makes the uh, the current landscape in terms of, you know, Leicester have now got their own arena, Newcastle breaking ground on their new arena, Sheffield not far away from being that position. You'll we'll have seen, perhaps relatively recently, that Bristol uh, are starting to talk up their own venue and, and other BBL clubs are uh, are looking at that as well. You know, we consider that a, a significant game changer. Um, for the sport, and that's going to be a key component in uh, in accelerating the the growth in the league, uh, and indeed the, the sport overall. In uh, in our opinion, that that's what's been holding us back. Um, you know, you look at any other established sports in the UK, and they're they're asset strong. Basketball is uh, is asset weak. Why uh, is the facilities piece so important? It's a number of factors, but you know, controlling your uh, your own venue, um, both in terms of the uh, the the income streams that can bring for you, in in terms of you know other events at your venue, secondary spend, um, you know, better choice of of dates for games, or and, you know, and a home for your your community programs as well. So uh, you know, currently or historically. Um, for a lot of clubs, it, it's been roll up on a uh, on a Friday or Saturday night with your you bag of balls and uh, uh, play a game, and uh, and then three hours later you're out of there and uh, and you don't come back until you play again. So there's no hub, if you like, for the uh, for the club to uh, to develop the various aspects of their their business uh, and give them a, a sort of a central focus for the organisation. Um, so the fan base have something to uh, to attach themselves to as well. So it's just key across. Multiple areas of what the uh, what the clubs are trying to achieve, um, and and that's obviously key to the uh, you know the growth of the clubs is is key to the growth of the, uh, the league, and vice versa.
0: In terms of the league structure and the the uh, the kind of the governance and the ownership as well, how how does it all work? Could you kind of give us a broad overview of um, like the the structure of the kind of the governance of the league uh how that's changed over the years and kind of where it is now the ownership of the league like who owns what like who is actually the the owner of the the BBR, if you were to call it that um and then in terms of the the finances uh you know like i can see that if if newcastle eagles when they build their own facility all of a sudden they've they've got um great revenue streams for themselves but does the league then is the league then able to take a portion of that or does it just mean because the clubs are making more money you can charge a higher franchise fee uh to then increase your own revenues like what's the kind of the the business piece of of how it all works with the structure
1: yeah so it's a uh, the league by the member clubs so the member clubs being all you know for avoidance of doubt, being all the clubs that are in the league so they are uh, equal shareholders um you, you know the uh um in in broad terms the uh, the income that is generated by the uh, the league there's an obviously expenditure for running the, the central operation uh, and then there's you know either a, a surplus or a, a deficit and the and clubs determine how that's, uh how that's spent or distributed as as it may be um so there's no um the current requirement for clubs to uh, um, to have to put money into the centre. So, you know, if Newcastle improves their, their revenue streams, then, then they get to invest that money back into the club or, or do with what they uh, they want to do, their independently owned uh, clubs and organisations. Um, we have a management board that's currently made up of uh, a, a representative from each club. So each club gets to nominate a, a director to the uh, to the BBL board. And, and you know, and in broad terms, they, they control the business. So, in terms of your boss, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. who do you report to? Like, uh, are you dictated to by the clubs in terms of they th- talk about kind of what they want to see from the league operationally, uh, or is it the other way around?
1: We have a chairman, Sir Rodney uh, Walker, okay. who's who's independent. So uh, you know, to to a point, I I answer to him. But but yes, the, I mean the board of directors uh, is, is who I uh, report to. Um, you know, we uh, I produce a uh, or we produce a, a business plan as a central operation that's the, the board approve and then we deliver against that in, uh, in to put it in simplest terms
0: are there any issues ever with uh you know i i mean when you're when you have all the clubs with a seat at the table uh mm. of course you want them to all act in the, in what, whatever's in the best interest of the league but surely there's self interest mm. there as well right um so, yeah, well, there... they have a. B-
1: yeah, I mean, I take your point, but they, you know, they have a BBL directorship. That's what they hold. That's the position they're fulfilling when they're at a BBL board meeting. Um, you know, they obviously come with the uh, um, to, to de- you know determine on BBL business rather than club business. Uh, I'm mean, sure there'll be um, something going on in the back of their mind around how will this impact on my club and uh, and so on and so forth. But you know, generally these are uh, guys who can leave that aside, guys and girls, I should say, who can leave that aside. They're experienced business people. Um, they know how it works, and uh, they know what their, their BBL ship is for and what they need to do with it. So, uh, um, so you know, there are occasional, uh, you know, individual club influences that, that drift into uh, into that meeting, but the, the general consensus is, um, you know, to determine what's best for the BBL and uh, um, and implement accordingly. One of the... Things
0: that um, you know is obvious to anyone is the gap between the top and the bottom clubs in terms of infrastructure, support, fan base. Um, mm-hmm. You know how? I mean, I'm assuming that's quite a big concern for the for the league, especially from an operation standpoint. Uh, you know how do you battle that and kind of what are you, what steps is being taken uh, to try and overcome that and and reduce the size of the gap between the two clubs?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have a strongest club and a uh, and a weakest club to a point. But you're you know you're correct in saying that um, it, you know the the at times can be a distance um, that's too great between uh, organisations at the top and the bottom of, of that particular table. We have a franchise committee um which is made up of of, of um you know, officers from the central organization as well as experienced uh, club personnel who have been running franchises for a number of uh, years and and they're there to uh, to provide support to uh, to franchises to see how they can assist with anyone that, uh, that that may be struggling um so but you know in I think it probably would be fair to say that that's probably an area we need to get better in um, to help clubs to, uh, uh, to succeed who are, who are struggling to help them improve. Um, but it's a, uh, you know, part of that is a, is a resource issue that we, we need to address.
0: When, uh, when I interviewed Martin Henlon um, a while back, one of the things that he was saying was that uh, with all, all the clubs having an equal or wanting an equal seat at the table, even though their resource resources available was one of the one of the biggest problems, because then all of a sudden, you know, you'd have a one of the weaker teams <clears throat> um, that wants exactly the same amount of TV games as one of the bigger teams is playing in front of a packed out house in an arena every every week, and it's what caused a lot of the issues. Uh, do you, do team are there franchises that have that pull more weight than others um, and have a uh, bigger say, or or do you try to keep it? Um, you know everyone having equal decision making ability across across the
1: league no i mean it's an equal decision making ability but you know going back to the earlier question that we talked around, around the the uh, you know decisions taken at, at BBR board meetings you know for instance we've got agreement um or we we reach agreement at those clubs which venues we feel are Are televisable for be it Unilag games or or BBC games, and a a number of clubs are you know aren't considered televisable, and and, you know that's agreed at at board level. Um, So you you know, so the the self-interest. Isn't an overriding factor, uh, you know, to to demonstrate a point there in terms of those clubs accept that position. They accept that if they want to become a televised, uh, you know, have a televised venue, they need to improve their facility. And and what improvements they need to make vary from uh, from venue to venue. You know, I mean, to a point, the the management board setup is going to change anyway. As as I'm sure you're probably going to touch on in a not too distant future. the license for the professional league is obviously moved from Basketball England to, uh, to to British Basketball, and as yep. part of that, that new license, we uh, we're required to set up a new management board. Um, I can't go into too much detail around that. There's a confidentiality clause around the uh, the, the license agreement, but you know there will be significant changes to the uh, the, the management board of the, of the BBL as part of that. In the uh, in the, in the next sort of six months or
0: so on the topic of the license agreement that that came into play before uh, the start of this season right um what is actually what's changed operationally uh, from a league standpoint i know that there was you know a lot of uh, things in that was well the things that were released publicly anyway that kind of said you know we appreciate this is a long-term process and not something that's going to suddenly happen you know overnight mm. and it, it, you know it takes it takes weeks months years um, but are there are there things that have changed immediately kind of starting this season that were different from last season as a direct result of the new license agreement
1: there are performance objectives within the uh, the new license which is something new and, uh, and and different to to the to the basketball england um equivalent that we we had up until uh, the beginning of this season um, but there are timescales attached for those um, performance uh, objectives but you know very much the uh, the objective of those uh, of that criteria is to drive up the standards of the uh, of the club and the league. Um, there's an independent franchise committee. There's independence coming onto the uh, onto the the management board, as as I touched on uh, briefly uh, a few minutes ago. So those are the changes, but you know they they take a little while to uh, to implement, filter through, uh, etc. So and you know and as part of that, BBF have obviously got their um, their, their own issues that they're focusing on at the moment um so so you know change is coming for us in in terms of management board in terms of franchise committee in terms of performance act- objectives and uh uh and you know and, and that'll be processes that that are um that we welcome and that we're uh we're, we're keen to rise to the challenge of um but they you know they are things that are, that are happening in the background but uh, um, but they sort of don't fully kick in um sort of for the first or 12 months or so
0: yeah, so so for people that haven't um, seen the the licence agreement or the fact sheet that was released with it, um, you know some of the new performance standards were stuff like minimum salary levels for players, uh, clubs having to invest at least seventy five thousand into their player pathway, uh, and that included having four junior teams and partnerships with local universities and academies, um, being long term anchor tenants in their chosen venues, and playing on stuff on clean wooden floors um, and things like that. So so if if I was to push you on timelines. Um, what do you think is a is a realistic timeline that uh, people will start seeing some of these changes push through?
1: Well, I think uh, to go back a stage, uh, you know, a little bit, Sam. I think anyone who wants to run a uh, a, a you know a good basketball club um, in in the professional league in in any country, um, the things you've just outlined there are, are things that they they want anyway. Um, and you know, and BBL was fairly um, instrumental in the development of the uh, uh, the criteria that you've uh, or the topics at least at the criteria that you've uh, you know that you've outlined there. Um, and a number of clubs will already be achieving the um, you know the. the the, the entry level criteria or if you like or, or already ch- achieving the entry level criteria but the next stage of the uh, of the criteria period but there you know as, as I mentioned previously there there is a confidential confidentiality clause around the contract, so I can't go into too much detail mm-hmm. um but there are various stages at, at which there uh, you know there's annual reviews to, against that criteria there are various stages at, at which uh, Clubs are required to be compliant, and uh, and so on and so forth. So it's uh, quite a complex, uh, uh, or quite difficult for me to put a, uh, a sort of fixed timescale. But I would have thought between the next of uh, two seasons or so, you uh, you'll start to see marked differences uh, uh, around the league. But I, I, you know, I think I'd I would say that that you know. The, as i've touched on before the league and the clubs have been improving for a number of years so um you know so i as i say a number of clubs have already addressed the uh, the issues that uh, or the the criteria that that appears within that contract and and so people are seeing progress anyway i i think i would say we all want it quicker
0: yeah the and then in terms of the the bbf uh you know holding you accountable to that like at the moment it seems like you know uh, well, from 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 my standpoint, it feels like the administration side of things, uh, with the home nations and the BBF, is is a complete mess at the moment. Um, and the BBF, you know, doesn't have many uh, dedicated staff. And it almost feels like, well, when I when I think about the staff that they do have, I think, well, who's actually going to be, uh, you know, regularly checking in with the BBL or BBL franchises and and, and ensuring that, um, you know, both sides of the the agreement are held up. Like, who is it that you deal with on the BBF side, and and kind of how are they? how are they going to be holding you accountable moving forward?
1: Yeah. So there's a franchise committee that has to be established or is being established under the, uh, under the license agreement. And that has representation from BBL, from BBF and, and also from independence. That's, uh, as an independent representation. So that that's being developed, uh, or the franchise committee is being established um, as we speak. There's a timescale attached to that within the uh, you know within the contract, and obviously there's reviews that have to take place against the uh, the criteria on a uh, on a timescale. It, it's not a it's not you know the the, the reviews don't start instantly, so there, there is some time before that starts but uh, but it won't just be the the BBF it's bringing in external expertise right and it's very much with an ethos as you know as well as um, you know as how can we help the clubs uh, achieve this criteria it, it's a uh, you know work together to achieve it, nobody wants to lose clubs nobody wants people to fail um, but similarly we want to drive up standards so uh, so i think we need to you know get a right Understanding of what the uh, you know what the licence is trying to achieve and and what the uh, and, and the role of the uh, the franchise committee in, in helping clubs to uh, to achieve that.
0: How happy are you with the size of the league at the moment? Um, would you like to see more franchises? Are there? we have um, <laughs> got a bit of a fire alarm situation. <laughs>
1: yeah. There are new one second. That should start in a second. Certain... Okay. Just hold up. Okay. There we go. Um, do apologise for no, that. No problem. That was obviously the bonus it was the bonus question, I think. <laughs> speak, yeah. But no. no. Um, in terms of number of teams are we Yeah, are
0: we in terms that? in terms of number of teams, are you happy with the size of the league? Are you are there cities that uh that you're targeting that you'd like to see franchises in? Have you had any, any interest uh in, in new potential franchises? Um, or are are you happy with the size of the league at the moment?
1: Yeah, no, we'd like more teams. Um you know, twelve's a, a reasonable number. I, I think we could go a little lower if we had to, but ideally we'd be uh, in my world we'd be up around 18, um, somewhere in that region. Um, you know, Birmingham's an, an obvious miss for us at the moment. We are in in dialogue with a uh, a potential Birmingham franchise for the uh, future. We've conscious there, uh, we've had a few startups in Birmingham that that haven't materialised, so we're we're very keen if we do put another franchise into Birmingham that it's that it's the right one. Yeah. Um, and we also, you know, we don't want to take um, franchises on unless they're going to add to the league. Um, you know, there's no point taking a team on. And I, I don't necessarily mean playing strength or I, I probably don't mean playing strength. I mean, in terms of the, the off the court, the structure, the uh, the strength of their reach in the community, et cetera, that there's going to be 11th or 12th in the league. We we want to take teams on who are were, who were going to come in at the sort of midpoint, if you like. There's no point of just adding. You know, weak teams in the league just to get our numbers up, and uh, um, you know, that's the the ethos that we're currently working to. So, we welcome more teams. Um, There was something in the license around the number of teams and and locations, etc. So, we'll be working towards that as well. But, you know, on the flip side of that, and I think to our earlier discussion around this being a difficult sector uh, in terms of. Sport in the UK—it's a you know a lot of competing sports around, and there isn't a massive queue of people lining up to run franchises at the moment. So um, we need to look after the ones we've got, help them grow, um, and, and you know see if we can address the key cities such as Birmingham where we've got gaps at the moment. That's the, the primary focus in the short term.
0: What is the process for applying for a BBR franchise? If I if I uh, you know manage to get together a group of investors and, and wanting to look into getting into the BBL at some point in the near future. Um, how, how does it work from that standpoint?
1: Yeah, so we run a, uh, a process for clubs who wish to uh, apply. There's no requirement for them to uh, come from uh, you know existing club setup. It can be a, a new startup uh, and we look for a combination of uh, of business people and, and basketball people, ideally, so uh, some basketball now, some business now. Um, they uh, require to submit a full business plan. We run a process of uh, um, uh, of interviews and uh, and so on and so forth. And, and we have a criteria that they have to meet, um, although there is some flexibility for that criteria, i.e. you can be stronger in some areas and, and, and weaker in others. Um, so it's not a rigid calculation, um, if you like, and they'll obviously be moving forward, they'll obviously be linked to the uh, the criteria that sits within the uh, the, the new license
0: it, When you look back uh, on franchises that you've taken that have failed, um, what are your uh, biggest regret, regrets um, in terms of maybe teams that have been in the league that have you know been in absolute pain and, and sort of not hung around?
1: I don't think there are regrets as such. Um, you know, I, I stand by the decisions that have been made over the years in regard to uh, franchises, both in terms of accepting them uh, into the league and then the, the odd one that, we, uh, that we've had to remove from the league. I mean, others have fallen by the wayside by their, their own decision. Um, I think where clubs have found it a struggle is it tends to be harder than they think it's going to be. Um, number one, and um, you know, number two. I think particularly for for clubs who are coming up from a lower division, um, there's a struggle to make the leap, um, as it's a very difficult, diff, sorry, very different operation from a uh, you know from a an EBL or an SBL club to a uh, to the to a BBL club. And that that's not to take anything away from what clubs are doing in in EBL. It's just a different uh, concept altogether in terms of um, pro players and you, uh, you know, and, and they tend to get very focused on the on-the-court stuff and, and not as focused as perhaps they could be on the uh, on, on the off-court stuff. Mm. Um, and obviously, ultimately, it's the off-court stuff that makes the on-court stuff uh, stack up and, and, and work. Uh, and so we'd be more, uh, you know, I always are more interested or or have more time for those clubs who uh, who put a lot of focus into the, the off court stuff initially, um, because you know, ultimately the on court stuff will catch up. So um so we're less concerned about on court results in the in the early years, but more concerned how they're doing after court, how they're doing commercially, what's their reach community wise, is that converting into uh into ticket sales, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Do you find there is a lot of um I don't know whether you call it naivety or, or arrogance, from especially from people from outside of basketball uh, that kind of come into basketball and think that they can come in and I don't know do what they've done with other sports um, and blow it up and think that you know all it takes is uh, you know their expert brains or whatever it might be to come in and do it and they, they can make it work and make the sport reach the magical potential that everyone always talks about. You know, I find that even when I have conversations, I sometimes do some consultancy work with agencies in the States that are working with brands about British basketball, and, and I feel that they're just completely ignorant uh, and have no idea that how hard it is and how much of a slug um, you know British basketball can be. And you can't just—it's not like you know other European markets. It's not like the American market. You can't just do exactly what's been done there and just replicate over here. It's a very unique market that requires uh, a very unique and nuanced approach. Um, I'd be interested to hear kind of your thoughts around that.
1: Yeah, I think people are surprised how tough it is. So I think there is people who come in from from other sports, certainly, and and see what's being a uh, you know achieved around, um, you know things like finals events and, uh, and and club attendance at games, and think it should be a uh, you know a lot easier or should be a lot better um, in in terms of numbers and and ticket income and so on and so forth, and and they think if they apply the uh, Knowledge from other sports that that will uh, you know transfer over and and there'll be quick and, and easy wins and, and numbers will shoot up and so on and so forth and and invariably that doesn't happen because um, it's a uh, you know it's a hard sector as we've touched on previously. Yeah. Um, so you know I'd, I'd agree with that to a uh, to a broad point, but that's you know that I I think it, that's not to say there aren't lessons to be learnt from uh, from other sports. Um, you know I've been promoting or an area of my Responsibility, even when my first started back in the league in in nineteen ninety four, was um, was around promoting the uh, the finals events, and uh, and you know, and, and I still have an input into that uh, into that these days, some twenty three years later, and and there's still things you can pick up and uh, and learn even at this stage, even though you know I'd say we're doing that to a relatively good level in terms of, uh, you know, our final events are, are well attended. Um But we'd like them bigger and better, undoubtedly. And if there's lessons we can learn from from other sports, then I'm very receptive to those.
0: What do you think has changed um for the league to be able to start selling out, you know, the finals events are something that's always pointed to uh, in terms of the attendance numbers and and you, you guys being able to shift tickets. And, and you know, mm. for whatever anyone has to say about the VBL, I, I think that... uh you know, one thing that people can't deny is, is the fact that you can shift tickets when you look at your finals events and then, and you look at GB in particular, especially when, you know, they, they took the games away from you uh, and tried to sell the tickets themselves and, you know, had horrific attendance and then, you know, and then they gave them back to you and again uh, had good attendance again. So it's kind of like there's obviously lessons there and things that you've picked up over the years that have, have allowed you to have this success. So, I'd yeah, I'd be interested to find out kind of... Um, what you think it is that's changed uh, over the years to allow you to, you know, suddenly have these events with, you know, thousands of people in attendance?
1: Mm. Okay. Well, I don't think we've suddenly had these events with thousands in attendance. So we um, we were at a point um, in around about the mid sort of 2005, somewhere around there, where we were getting a reasonable attendance at our final. But, you know, I had a, a feel that it could be an awful lot better. Um, so we were around about sort of 4,000. Um, four and a half thousand, something like that, at that point. So you know, we've sunk an awful lot of resource into uh, uh, into trying to improve uh, ticket sales and the events themselves in terms of the presentation. With a very dedicated team centrally, Claire Hatch, our uh, our event manager, and uh, you know, and another number of other key staff who were involved in the. The marketing, and we actually market pretty much 12 months round for uh, for those events. Uh, a lot of that into uh, into group sales, uh, and we've managed to achieve some pretty significant um, success in, in in that regard, which has allowed us to you know, stage our end of season playoff final at the O2 and get some uh, get some good numbers there. We've got the um, the cup final coming up in January at the Arena Birmingham, formerly the uh, the National Indoor Arena. Um where we're going to be pushing you know towards ten thousand in attendance at that one um emirates arena in uh, in Glasgow for our trophy final um where you know we think we're probably going to be at capacity this year for that one, which is about six and a half thousand so um you know that's applying the lessons that we've learned over a uh, over a number of years um and, and using those um you know those lessons um to make sure we uh, we maximize the, the the attendance that we can get and and the ticket income we can generate um you know and we i feel there's more to be had there um you know we want to get bigger and better as we've talked about so improve the uh, the presentation further Increase the ticket revenue, and and that will help the uh, the league grow um, even more. In terms of GB, um, you know that's tricky, um, undoubtedly. Um, to market as events overall, I mean the GB game, if you uh, or the GB game, should be the pinnacle of the uh, of the sport in terms of attendance but they're in a uh, whether under arc and um, you know our control in terms of the gb of invited us to market and uh, and stage those games then we uh, you know we've got them on a uh, on a track of growth um, and we think we can sustain that so you you're not going to achieve the it's uh, similar to the BBL finals you you don't just achieve that sort of success overnight in this sport it it needs to grow um, year on year, albeit they have, um, you know, the the landscape or the geography of, uh, of how the games are scheduled pulls a little against that in terms of. Um you know if you look at, at g b men's schedule of games they um they've obviously had the one game in in november um relatively short notice for that in terms of from when the draw was until the the game was actually staged, which makes it difficult to uh, to secure the bigger facilities and then they've got nothing now until uh june July where they've got two games in in four days and they're Friday and Monday which aren't ideal days for the uh be marketing basketball games, and it's pretty hard. So really, you want all the, uh, um you know, everything sort of sitting right and pulling in the right direction, and having games on Monday nights, uh, you know, is, is 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 tricky before you've even got started. So uh, yeah, not easy, but we're we're very proud of what we've done BBL wise, and and you know, as I touched on, we want to get bigger and better, uh, and, and GB, we're uh, we're delighted to be doing it, and uh, and we think we can get some significant growth. For them over the uh over the coming years
0: so do you think the, the key thing is having the 12 month cycle of, of uh being able to because i always <clears throat> you know i always am shocked at uh it's almost like as soon as the you know one of the events finishes you know a, a week later i'm getting an email about the the booking for the for the next year's cup final or whatever it might be um with tickets mm. going on sale like how key do you think the lead in time is uh and then i also you know th- In terms of the actual sales process, you know, you mentioned there that the group sales is is one of the big big things. So, do you have dedicated uh, sales staff that are that are calling people up, or are you just doing email blasts to various different people's lists? Like, um, kind of, what are the actual marketing channels that you're using?
1: Yeah, no, we we believe the twelve month cycle is key. Um, We don't get a terrific amount of people buying twelve months out, but it's uh, it's. It starts to create the awareness around the event. Um, we do an awful lot of group sales, as, as you've touched on. Um, we have two dedicated staff in the uh, in the office um, working on that, sort of pretty much year round. Um, so their uh, you know their sole focus is is drawing in uh, or trying to draw in group bookings. We, we run a process around our group bookings to allow groups to provisionally hold tickets. Very flexible process to support them because it's it's never easy as. As I'm sure anyone would tell you, whatever I try to organise anything for a group, um, so we try to support them throughout that process and make it as easy as possible for them. Um, and you know, I've achieved a, a good amount of success off the back of that. But you know, that commences that process for groups commences you know on the day of the uh, of the event from the previous year, if you like. So for the 2019 Cup Final, uh, we're about to fix the date with the venue. Um, we'll produce promo material ahead of the 2018 Cup Final, and those groups are in attendance at the 2018 Cup Final will get a visit at their seat to uh, to look to secure provisional bookings for the following year.
0: So, how, how many staff do you have actually working in the uh, BBR offices?
1: Yeah, headquarters we have six, um, including myself. We uh, we have a commercial director, Bob Hope, who uh, who is based down uh, towards London. Um, and we have a, uh, a media team who's dotted uh, who around the country as well. Okay, so remotely. and what's the split in the
0: six that are in the office in terms of what each, what the roles and responsibilities of each person?
1: In broad terms, we have three uh, staff who work on, on events, so uh, our finals and the, the GB events um, and then we have, uh, you know, myself um, and then we have a competitions administrator, Jamie Press and we also have a uh, a designer, um, who, who well, he does other stuff on top of design, but primarily design work. Okay, so um, I want to kind of
0: jump back to the uh, administration side of things and the BBF and the Bass wingland and uh, and all of that. You know, you've kind of been one of the few constants, constants in the sports upper hierarchy, so to speak. Um, and as you're, I'm sure, well aware, there's been a, a lot of changes uh, in staffing. Uh, with Boss Wingland with BBF over the last few years, um, how frustrating has that been uh, from a BBL standpoint? And how do you think it's affected uh, the league's uh,
1: potential growth? Hmm. Interesting question, that one. I mean, uh, how frustrated have I been with it? I mean, it's a, it's an external factor, and it's something that we can't control um, as such. So you know, we just have to work with it. Um, I think it's a huge area I mean consistency of staff across other organizations would obviously be beneficial but there's been reasons you know within those organizations as to why that's occurred so I I just think we you know we have to get on with it to a uh, um, to a point I think the uh, you know BBF that have obviously been through a difficult period they're in a, a difficult period due to the the funding concerns that they've got and, uh, and that's obviously very tricky um, for them but um, the thing that had held us back previously, um, you know, it, 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 it has been a significant factor in holding us back has, has been around the license um, in terms of it. it had a number of, when it was sitting with Basketball England, we had a number of, of years of single year rollovers, um, which meant, you know, when we had another sort of 12 months to run on the license at, uh, at any one point, we now have this 10 year license with BBF, so that that's given... Security and uh, you know and something that at one point was the first question we uh, we were asked when we went in to talk to sponsors or whoever it may be um, is I'm hearing you've only got nine months left on your uh, on your on your license uh, etc. Now that that sort of stuff only started to surface um, around about 2012 13. There was never any reference to the uh, the license. I'm not sure many people. Uh, you know, or at least those who weren't very close to the sport knew it, it even existed in our honesty. But uh, but so to have the security of the ten-year license is, is significant for us, and uh, will be another key building block as we uh, as we look to accelerate the uh, the growth we've achieved over the last few years.
0: One of the other things I kind of like to touch upon is is the whole. Uh, I think you sort of semi alluded to it there. The whole Beeble UK situation uh, with the former boss, wing and CEO Hugh Morgan. Um, and it kind of uh, things got pretty testy um, with, between the NGB and, and the BBL and kind of, uh, you know, what's going on with the license and they're engaging with other organizations. And, you know, you've got people that clearly have, uh, have basically used their position uh, and put themselves in situations of conflicts of interest and all sorts. Um, but what, what was your take on that, on that situation and kind of, uh, yeah, if you could break down what happened from a BBL standpoint?
1: I mean I think you've uh, your questions answered the uh, that pretty much uh, how I would have answered it I I would say you know it was an unsatisfactory position um, I'm I'm glad it's behind us um we're very keen to work with the uh, the existing basketball England organisation and and look forward rather than backwards yeah makes sense um
0: in terms of working with the with the governing bodies uh you know I still feel on some level that uh, the BBL is a very separate thing, and that's not to say that uh, you know the BBF, Barcelona, should be uh, promoting everything that the BBL does. Um, but you know, even if you you go to the Barcelona website, there is still it's just I think even with the with the redesign, there's just a, a little drop down with competitions and there's a link to the BBL website. But it's it's still almost like uh, very little involvement. It's, it seems quite hands off, you know. Um, is that, is that a relationship that you think could be stronger and you'd want to sort of have a more public-facing relationship where you work together on, on events and are more tie-ins uh, in terms of cross-promotions um, for various different competitions and stuff? Or would you say that uh, the two organisations are in a, in a good place with how they're working at the moment?
1: Uh, I think we could work closer together, uh, undoubtedly. Um, I mean, having said that, the PBL is obviously the you know the runs the men's professional league in the UK. Um, should there be profile on the governing body's website or more profile? Then, uh, then you know, yes, I, I believe there should be, and I'm, I'm sure Basketball England, if you're talking about Basketball England um, over in Basketball Scotland, will you know will be addressing that in the uh, in the coming months um you know the clubs obviously have more interaction with the uh, the governing body via the the age group teams that they uh, they run and you know other national league teams that they're involved in um but they i mean there are we are working together um are there more things we could work on you know yes um is the relationship better than it has been previously? Absolutely, I'd, I'd describe it as a you know as a good relationship now, um, and I think we can just need we need to grow on on where it is, um, and I think you're right. If you're looking from the outside, looking in, it, it probably looks a little disjointed, and we and uh, we need to address that.
0: What uh, I would the difference between like uh, I've lost my thread now. Let me go back a second. Um, hmm. I'll go somewhere else with it uh so moving forward uh in the next you know five to ten years uh what do you think is on the immediate roadmap for the league where do you, Where do you see it Where do you want it to be um kind of in the near and then sort of long term future
1: so continue to uh, to expand and grow the uh, the broadcast deals, get more eyeballs on the league um secure um bigger um or more um sponsors you know league sponsors obviously fairly key for us i mean they're they're all interlinked um more clubs into their own venues is uh, is key teams into europe i mean I, I could go on and on we we've got big plans as to uh, uh as to where we want to go to we we just want to make sure we keep our feet on the ground keep that uh, that growth sustainable um it as much as we can um but not to the uh, the detriment of the sustainability of the of the league and the clubs
0: how soon do you think we are to seeing a BBL club in Europe?
1: I think we're quite close. Um, I, I think in the... Uh, I, I was thinking that in the next couple of seasons, um, we'll see a team in Europe. Uh, you know, key sitting behind that as a, as a key element, uh, or there's several key elements, but one of those is, is venue and availability. Um, and, and that, when you don't own your own venue, that, that becomes... Europe becomes a very, very difficult proposition. Um, when you get into European games, you you, know, you need to be you're, you're generally told when game dates are, and you need to provide facility the day before and uh, for training, etc. I mean, all things which you should do if you're uh, if you're playing at that level. But if you don't own your own facility, it's very tricky to yeah. uh, to get that as sort of assurance of of necessary dates, um, etc. And then there's the financial element uh, that, that sits behind it as well. So if you uh, if you get the the wrong draw or an unfortunate draw, then, uh, then it can be very expensive to uh, to play your your away games. So the last thing we want to do, you know, is clubs to jump at that when they're not ready financially for uh, for what may happen. Um, and you know, if you go back again to the uh, um, to the its pomp and its heyday and the, the back end of that period, then uh, you know you're perhaps the Cause some significant difficulties for uh, or clubs being in Europe caused some significant difficulties for the like of uh, a, you know of Guildford who, who, who you know, ultimately became Surrey Scorchers in terms of financially got them into a lot of trouble so uh, so we've got to be ready um, but we've got to have teams playing in Europe it's uh, it's a key inspiration for us and and where we need to get to um, and I think that will uh, you know that will help the sport tremendously in, in terms of how it's perceived in uh, in in Europe as well because we're you know, I mean, I'm not talking about the big, big leagues, but I, you know, I don't think we're we're far away uh, in terms of playing strength with a uh, you know, with countries that perhaps are perceived by fans in this country from from being some distance away from us. Um, yeah. Some of that is evidenced by pre-season tournaments, but of course, you know, until you get into proper competitive games, that that judgment won't be taken seriously.
0: You spoke briefly then about about finances and the, the commercial side of things um to give us some can you give us some idea uh in terms of commercial revenues um that the b b l currently has uh and how it's doing from a financial standpoint
1: the b b l is profitable just um to make some money um i can't go into uh I- into figures um but you know any money that we make is uh, you know is is earmarked to be reinvested into to various initiatives so um, but I, I can't really go into to figure yeah.
0: so okay and then uh, I remember the question I lost my thread on earlier uh, I was going to oh, ask, okay. I was gonna ask um, if you were able to dispel any myths that you see continually discussed about the BBL that you just know are wrong um, that you see mm-hmm. is there anything in particular that comes to mind that people are constantly talking about and you're just like that's just not true um,
1: what would it what would they be hmm Senator, that's, inter- that's a good question that's a good question. I think one that historically certainly we've uh, we, we've always been beaten with is that we're a uh, you know a league full of american players and we don't look after our uh, uh, our domestic players um, um the, you know we, we're the only league that i know of that protects spots for uh, for british players um by our our regulations um and in addition to that, if you look at the eligibility criteria around Europe and I have a documents on it, if you like it um then you'll see that we're uh, um you know we're we're one of the best um in, in Europe in terms of protecting spots for uh, for British players or opportunities for homegrown players so um so that's probably one i would say certainly
0: is there are there any others that that uh that stand out or would you say that's the main one
1: I think that's the main one that I've had over uh, the, uh, the the 20 odd years that I've been here. Um um yeah, I think that's the main one. Unless you're going to tell me one that's the top in throne that I no, uh, that no. I may have forgotten. It's no, early. No. I, so I'm, I may have forgotten.
0: No, no, I mean I was interested to see uh kind of what, kind of what you said. Um So yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good place to leave it. We're coming up to about an hour or so um yeah, I think uh thank you so much for taking the time. Uh much appreciated and um you know I look forward to seeing uh kind of what happens with the BBR over over the coming years. I, I say to I say to many people that um over the last five, six years I, I feel like uh with the sport in the UK the BBL is the the only well, one of the very few uh, entities that's actually showing real progress. Um And that is, I would say, in in large part down to the work that that you're doing. And uh, a lot of people speak very highly of you. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. It's much appreciated. Um, and Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: That's very kind of you, Sam. Sam, thanks for the the kind comments. And thank you for the opportunity to talk to you.
0: Excellent. Uh, We will talk soon. Take care of yourself.
1: Thank you you are listening to the hoops fix podcast the official
0: voice of the uk's largest basketball website visit hoopsfix.com
1: for exclusive news videos and more